Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I'd like to thank you for being our guest today and um, listening to uh, what's going to be an awesome presentation by a number of folks who are in the broadband trenches. Um, occasionally, I believe that we, all of us who are involved in broadband, need to have a time where we stop stop a little bit, take stock of everything that we're achieving with broadband, and assess where we're heading to next. And I put together a panel of folks who can, from different parts of the country and different aspects of how they're uh, implementing broadband, can give us a good overview of some key issues that folks are trying to address. I have uh, Mayor Andy Burke, who is the mayor of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I have Aaron Deacon, who is the managing director of KC Digital Drive, which is the um, Kansas City effort. Um, Mark Erickson, who is with the um, city of Winthrop, who is the e, um, the economic development uh, director. Um, and we have Ann Schwiger, who is a city planner and a member of the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts, their broadband uh, task force. Uh, I want to thank uh, all of you for being uh, here on, on the show. Um, I think, the Mayor, you've been here a couple times, and I really appreciate uh, you know your support through the years, and also with Aaron, because you've been here a couple times as well. So thank all of you folks. Um, I do want to get right into this because um, the mayor does have a, 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 a hard stop before the rest of our crew. So let's uh, let's join get right into it. Um, so, mayor, you have a lot of stuff going on in Chattanooga, and what what's, what's like for some of your like last last couple of uh you know wins that that you have you guys have achieved with your network well one of them just happened today um in the last few hours as people have started going to school there's been a stack on the uh desks where they're registering to tell them that uh EPB which is our local um Internet, uh, that's our local electrical utility, which also provides our gigabit per second uh, broadband uh, support around the, the city, that any family uh, who has a child on free or reduced lunch in our schools can have 100 megs of Internet for um, twenty six ninety nine a month. Holy so moly. Just for us to be able to, to have that in our city, um, greeting all the students as they come into school this morning is a huge win for us. I'll say that, that's that's excellent. That's that's excellent. Um, roughly, how many students do you think that'll uh, affect? Well, it could it, it can potentially affect um, tens of thousands of students. Now, the the goal is going to be to to make sure that they're signed up. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that we really want to do is, is explain to people what the value is that they get from, from broadband. Um, we spend a fair amount of time 
educating people. That includes we have a Tech Goes Home initiative that we're very proud of um, that that educates people about how to use broadband. Um, but again, you know, I, I think we're, we're trying to attack this from all sides. First side mm-hmm. is what is the cost? What's the access? How do we get it out to the most people? We have this network that goes to every home and business in our area. Let's make sure people are turning it on. And then the second part is, you know, for them to want to do that, they have to know how to use it. And uh, we spend a lot of time on digital literacy. Um, My main focus is on making sure that we don't have digital gated communities. Uh, We've got to open this up for, for everyone. And for a city like Chattanooga, which has publicly supported broadband um, we own the network, then we need to find ways to expand it out as, as widely as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, the other panelists are going to talk about this in detail later in the show after you've left, but the one question I, I, I have for them, and I, I have obviously for you as well, um, what there are some people who think that once you build a network in another, you know, in other communities, that the city's role is over, right? You've built it, you know, then you have people sign up and away you go, and then you you don't worry about it anymore. Clearly, you guys have taken an active role in this aspect of broadband adoption in terms of digital digital literacy and broadband uh, um, adoption of your students, do you see that you're a, um, you know, one of a kind or are other cities equally um, making that effort to go beyond just the network to to address issues of a broadband adoption? Well, I hope other cities will learn from us in this. Um, you know, the <laughs> we thought several years ago when we really didn't know what the, what the future was going to hold for us that we were going to turn on this network and then everything would just happen for us. Uh, that turned out not to be the case. And in fact, uh, a lot of the hard work has come after we had the network connected up and people on it. And so I think that um, for for those people who are broadband uh, proponents, like I know um, the listeners of your, your show are, um, I think it's important to remember the end goal. Right, the end goal is broadband is a purpose that builds quality of life and opportunity for people in our communities. And just giving them access to the infrastructure does not provide all that. There's a lot more that has to be done. And what we're finding is that, um, that uh, you know, the, that is challenging work, but it's also very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to shift gears here um to get back to things that we 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 uh, talked about on uh, in via email, um, I'm finishing uh, my book uh, or revision of my book, and there's a lot of emphasis put on um, how the government and operations of the government can be impacted by broadband. Now, in you know in, in a little cups uh, a little summary, what has been the impact on government operations with your with your network? Well, for us, 
it's been really important driver um, to consider how we become more innovative and more advanced. And um, and we've used really the broadband that we see as a jumping off point to improving our own operations. Um, that means uh, making sure that we open up more of our data for consumers, uh, for constituents, for anybody who wants to use it. Um, so uh, we, we've had an ongoing open data project um, that, that we're ex very excited about. Um, a week or two ago, we got announced as one of the first wet work cities from Bloomberg Philanthropies. Um, and, and I know that, that uh, um, Aaron might, might be willing to talk about that as well. But I think for us, we're trying to, to make sure that we're using data um, to drive our operations, to be transparent with our constituents, and that ultimately is about providing better service to, to the people in, in our community. Um, again, our, uh, I think open data is, is a tool towards greater transparency in government. People know more what's happening. And also we can just take a look at our operations, see where there are issues, and start to assess um, how we make things better, and that's that's um, that's in large part driven by our ongoing, um, you know, technology performance and, and the way that broadband is plays in that. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, I've been following broadband and muni wireless and so forth since I think about you know, 10 years, actually. And in, I would say, 2006, um, there was a lot of effort uh, to use wireless as a way to make the the uh, mobile workers of the government more um, productive, more efficient, and so forth. And then if we come back to, we push up to, you know, a year or two ago, a lot has started to be happening with um, uh, what is what's called the Internet of Things, where basically you put a chip and some center, sensors into just about any kind of uh, object and help uh, track, manage all of these different resources. Now, how do you think that outdoor Wi-Fi together with this Internet of, uh, of Things, how will this in further improve uh, government operations, do you think? Well, we want it to improve government operations. We also want it to improve quality of life for our constituents. So um, over the last year, we've made a, a conscious effort to make sure that, that we put in as much public Wi-Fi as possible, we even gave it a snazzy name, Nuganet. I know, don't everybody be jealous uh, that we came up with such a snazzy name now. Uh, so Nuganet is is up and running uh, around the city um, in our youth and family development centers, parks, public spaces, governmental buildings. We're trying to make sure that that um, that we cast as as wide a net as as we can on it, um, and. I think the the ability to for for our constituents to use that to improve their quality of life is important and then our ongoing attempt to give a best 
customer service um, possible includes being able to to do things at the at the point where there's an issue. So pothole in the road, um, graffiti on uh, on a building, whatever it is, we want to be able to address that as close as possible to the source of the problem, and and the technology that we have helps us to make sure that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys gone with uh, smart parking meters? We we do have we we have an ongoing parking project, so we definitely have the newest meters. We're we're looking at how we uh, right now at how we um, take the next step forward in in smart parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting to, to me because back in um, well about the, about the 2006, um, there was a lot of publicity in um, or from Houston because they put about I don't know 4,000 of their um, uh, parking meters, and it was just a huge bonanza of sorts because they were able to change and make more efficient the way that, you know, as much as we don't like parking tickets, you know, they are a fact of life. And just exchanging the area, changing the whole dynamic of that operation was, was pretty impressive. And I would think that um, as cities get more into this, that we'll see a lot of or, um, cities like Chattanooga, like Houston, that will see all kinds of, you know, obviously the quality of life, but also just the, the overall, um, you know, budget impacting uh, ways in which this thing helps them. Um, well, but it's it's about more than that, Craig. I mean, if you think about Chattanooga in particular for 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 parking, Chattanooga is the only U.S. home for Volkswagen manufacturing. We make the Passat here. No, there's no other plant in the in the country in the United States that makes a Volkswagen. And mm-hmm. uh we we started a, a innovation district um a little bit over a year ago and I asked Volkswagen to be a a, a large player in the um uh, in the innovation district. And one of my pitches to them was doesn't Volkswagen want to be the company that solves the question of how cars and parking spaces interact in the best way possible? And so oh, wow. as, a, as an economic development tool, as a place for innovation and new technology and places, Chattanooga is positioned to, to be at the forefront of this because we have a company like Volkswagen who should have the, mo- the, the greatest economic incentive to drive new technology and to be an industry leader in how cars and, and parking spaces interact. Mm-hmm. I am definitely looking forward to finding, you know, learning more as you guys um, go along. I mean, I think that that's a very good, um, I guess I would look at as there's a very interesting test bed in which you guys, because of the technology of the network and then, you know, what, uh, Volkswagen is doing and looking ahead that they will probably come up with some really great uh, features in the next generation of cars from as a result of having that that uh, that broadband technology in place. I would imagine. Well, well, 
if, again, this this uh, since I've been in office, we've been able to negotiate to build the next Volkswagen SUV here in Chattanooga. And as part of that mm-hmm. deal, we were actually bringing another 2,000 jobs to Chattanooga. 200 of those are for research, planning, and development. And it's Whoa. important to me that Volkswagen not just build the next car here, but trust us to design portions of the next car. And and as we see uh, autonomous driving and and other advances in technology, an important part of car de- design is going to be coding. It just mm-hmm. everybody knows it. We just accept it and. And so when you think about broadband, you think about a car, it seems like to, to a lot of people like that's something that is just old-fashioned or old-school or whatever. And the truth is that we need innovative companies um, in our country in places like Chattanooga who are interacting with the car companies and providing that next stage of coding, those those new ideas um, that are going to really, I think, um, forge a, a an interesting and dynamic future in the world of, of transportation. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, now, one of the things that, you know, as we talk about, you know, the future and where we're going with broadband, as a, as a mayor, um, you know, it seems like you guys have done a lot toward marketing the city and in such a way that the network ple- uh, plays a eminent role, how how does that come about? I mean, did you guys plan that, or has it been you know the momentum once you got the network live, you know, a couple of years ago this, that it's been a this, you know the how how do you, how do you make that you know? The, the, there's no marketing. This is all just reality. This, this is all reality. No marketing. We just let it let it ride. Uh, no, of course we 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 market this um, heavily. It, um, so a, a couple years ago, um, I put together a group uh, of people a lot smarter than me and asked them to get in a room. These were all stakeholders who'd spent a lot of time around the the gig, but it really hadn't been organized. It was There was a lot of stuff happening, but it wasn't a coherent effort. And I asked them to put together a plan that, that the city could follow about next stages. And uh, we put together what I think was a, was a very good plan. Um, they put together a very good plan. And then what we've tried to do is execute it, uh, execute on it. And um, one of the the um, things that that uh, that plan said is that we have to have a a more aggressive um, unified marketing strategy, and that should really come through an organization. So um, there were several different uh, ideas that came through that gig tech and entrepreneurship report, and they all involved having an organization that was dedicated to to this um, task and different tasks. One of them was digital equity, one of them was innovation district, another was marketing. And so um, um, I took an existing nonprofit called the Enterprise Center, um, gave it a new purpose, um, put a bunch of people on the board who were really creative and had um, mastery of the issues involving um, Mm -hmm. our gig and technology and then let them go to work. 
And what they've done through the Enterprise Center is to have a a, a central point of contact, contact that everything flows through that allows us to market the city uh, and talk a lot about our gig network, our entrepreneurship, and the way that technology um, is driving better economic results and better quality of life in Chattanooga. And I hope that that has happened over the course of the last few years. It seems like that message is out there, but um, you know we're always trying to make sure that it it gets more prevalent and and wider, more widely disseminated. Mm-hmm. Now, one might ask, well, what happens when hundreds and hundreds of cities get a gig or you know at least high speed uh, broadband measured in the hundreds of megs area? What do you do at that point? Because now, don't you sort of lose some of the luster because of the fact that, you know, every community will now, well, not everyone, but, you know, lots of them have it. Does that change the look of, you know, marketing as a result? You know, do you do you less, do you less uh, rely on the broadband or we figure out new ways of marketing? Absolutely not. We want every city to to have access to this technology. A couple reasons for that. Number one is that, you know, I'm an American. I think we have to be at the at the forefront of, of technology to make sure that all of us as Americans have access to a a, a uh, uh, future of opportunity and high quality of life, and I and I feel that way about every city, not just my own, and and mm-hmm. I I think that's that's true. The, the second part is as a Chattanoogan, um, I really want to see every uh, city have access to to broadband in every citizen because we feel like we're out in front on this, and if we can stay out in front, we need customers, right? If if we develop this great technology that uses the gig, but nobody has the gig, there's nobody to to, to deploy it to, nobody to sell it to, and mm-hmm. so for for us, um, I see the growing number of cities who have access to um, ultra high speed broadband as developing markets, not as competition. And mm-hmm. the important thing for us is to stay innovative to work hard on digital equity so that we have more people um, entering the system who have great ideas to build on our entrepreneurship, to ensure that we have a great um, ecosystem for new businesses and technology businesses. If we don't have that, it doesn't really matter what what technology exists. But if Mm -hmm. we can continue to have those um, assets in play, have, you know, work our values, have smart people work on this, and stay out in front, then uh, the more people who have the gig, the better off we are. Okay, that that makes perfect sense. Um, I want to touch on um, health care-related stuff. I know that you'll be leaving soon, but I, I know that um, in Chattanooga, there's a lot of work being done by your uh, your colleges in the area, and I think there's some a partnership between the uh, Dallas and Chattanooga, all around research and and improving the quality of health care. Um, from the perspective of you know a, a mayor and dealing with potential 
hurricanes and and uh, floods, floods and tornadoes and whatnot. How do you see um, broadband being able to impact uh, emergency medical care? Well, our our gig system is even more important to a city like Chattanooga because it's the backbone that helps us with uh, electric resiliency as well. So mm-hmm. um, the the way that, that our gig network got developed was as part of a smart grid. And the smart grid um, helps us to fire back up our um, electric system to ensure that more people have access to uh, the utility as soon as possible after after an occurrence. Um, certainly, the the way that we can transmit data over ultra high speed broadband and and to to have medical innovation is important. But literally for us, the physical part of being able to get people back up and running, make sure that they're uh, that that they can go home, turn on lights, have the air conditioning on, all those. All those really important issues that that can occur uh, in our ever-changing climate that that's a, a an issue that that we feel is a is a real advantage that we get from our smart grid. Mm-hmm. And I guess by default, if, you know, when you're looking at critical systems that have to be maintained during a disaster, uh, the ability to keep your hospitals um, functioning is is probably uh, paramount among those uh, uh, priorities, I would imagine. Absolutely. The, the the resiliency part of our network is something that we advertise to new businesses, to to existing businesses. Um, I'll give you one example. We have a company here called South Tree. Um, South Tree does um, does the um, digital transfers of your old reel-to-reels or camcorder videotapes or audio tapes, whatever it has, they, they take it and they digitize them. Well, now um, what they, you know, this company started up four or five years ago. Um, you know, now what they're doing is they're uploading all this to the cloud, you know, your videos, your your um, audio, so that you can get a password and share it with whoever you want. Um, they exist in in our city, at least in in part, because they're able to upload it at a higher resolution than anybody else because of the gig. I mean that's that's important. They advertise that they have the highest resolution uploads, and and they're also here because those uploads are able to occur consistently every day without interruption. And that that kind of resiliency of the network is is really important to to a company that. All they're doing all day is uploading video and audio to to the web. Um, mm-hmm. They now have 107 employees in our downtown. That's a big company for a place like Chattanooga, and I think that's that's what having a a big pipe uh, that is resilient can do for for your city. Mm-hmm. Now I know that you have to leave in a, in a couple of minutes. I want to ask one last question, and then I'll bring everybody else into the discussion. Um, is there a plan for being a part of this n- national 
uh, public safety network, which uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if the FCC is calling it the 911 system or what they're calling it, but um, I know there's been a lot of talk, and I'm just wondering if you guys are interested or not interested, but are you um, pursuing with the FCC uh, some sort of participation in a national um, uh, public safety? Uh, network. Uh, honestly, I'm not. I'm not sure where we are with that. I, we we do a lot with um, the FCC, mm-hmm. um, as y'all may know that um, we filed a petition with the FCC to expand our network, which was granted and but is on hold pending pending lawsuits. Um, I, I think the the ability for cities like um, Chattanooga and Kansas City and and others to to partner and find best practices and uh, both on on the the gig side how do we use um, our gig network the best we can and on the service delivery side um, how do we um, how do we deliver public safety using technology in a in a way that um, that uh, is innovative for the future. That that's always important to us, and uh, we're we're looking for to find those those better ideas that um, that these that the other people on the phone have right now. Um, that uh, unfortunately I'm not going to hear <laughs> because <laughs> I hadn't had a chance to to talk to them. But um, we we need to hear hear the ideas of really creative people like like you have on the program today so that you know Chattanooga can do its job better. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you very much Mr. Mayor for taking some time out of your schedule because I know how the life of a mayor is and uh, it's never stop. It's never stopping. And so again, thank you and I also appreciate your support as again, you know, I wasn't able to make it to Chattanooga at the demo day like I've been in the last couple of years. But, um, you know, you guys are always up there in terms of, uh, you know, giving good support and information and helping me uh, spread the word. So thank you very much. It's it's our pleasure. Uh, Startup Week is uh, is just around the corner, so come back for that. All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. Take care. Thanks. And for um, to get our, our rest of our panel uh, in, I want to start with the, actually on the, the, the question that I added relative to emergency medical care. Um, and I want to start with um, uh, Mark, and I'll work around the, the group uh, to get your opinions as well. But, but Mark, in a rural setting, okay, you have, uh, okay, as opposed to in, in an urban place like Chattanooga, um, the medical care especially emergency medical care, is really uh, a challenge uh, because you've got terrain and you've got distance between uh, different people and so forth. How do you see with your network plans, um, which is like a four-county network, how do you see broadband impacting um, emergency medical care? Well, that's a good question, Craig. Um, I'll break it down in, into two parts. We hope there's a wireless component, and we don't know if it's going to be a, a WiMAX solution, but there's, there's some 
There's some wireless out there that will be fed off of our fiber network that we, we hope will be an eventual solution. Uh, but interestingly enough, the the announcement of us building our fiber network has attracted a medical school to one of our communities of, of 2,200 people. And wow. if you, it's probably a one-off, and we understand that, but having a, a medical doctor, a medical college here with 600 a student doctors will impact rural health care, not just for us in our in our uh, project footprint, but within a 100-mile radius. So um, it's the technology that really brings about the opportunities, and uh, we're hopeful that we can be part of a solution for rural health care. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of technology, I don't want to get into a, a deep technology discussion, but is the ability to put video on a high-speed network, um, is that going to have a significant impact on emergency medical services? Because now, you know, if you can't get to the, uh, to the hospital, if you can use video from, you know, a rural area... Mm-hmm. Um, I expect that it would have a significant impact on the quality of life and in health care in, in, in that area. I would suspect that it would too, Craig. Um, as we have started to work with uh, health care organizations and hospitals and physicians groups, we, we find out that the acronym HIPAA uh, plays a large part in what we can and cannot do. And those are Ah, the security laws that that guard all that. So video is one thing, and I think it can be wonderfully impactful, but there are all kinds of rules and regulations that go along with the the delivery of that. So I think you're right, Craig. I think eventually that the high-definition video that we will be offering it especially on our intranet, that 650-square-mile footprint, uh, will be very impactful to rural health care. But I think some rules have to change, and I think some, and I think they need to loosen up a little bit, so we'll just have to wait and see. That's a great question, though. Okay. Now, in Kansas City, um, I know, what was it, about a year, year and a half ago, I had a conversation with several people uh, there about uh, a number of initiatives that would tie together hospitals in Kansas City with medical facilities across the U.S. and I guess um, potentially even in in the world um, has a lot of work been done in that in that regard and it doesn't have to be obviously necessarily be uh, emergency medical issues, but, you know, healthcare in general, is that kind of, you know, tying um, of facilities from different cities coming together, is that going to happen in in Kansas City, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In fact, uh, I think it was maybe yesterday, the day before, uh, there was an announcement about the University of Kansas or Kansas University uh, launching a 100 gig service in Lawrence, uh, and the uh, the university and uh, the med school, which is based in Kansas City, Kansas, um, then UMKC, 
which is in Kansas City, Missouri, as well as the University of Missouri in Columbia, who's uh, been doing a lot of projects in town related to uh, the, the broadband connectivity here, uh, have been continuing to work on a data sharing arrangement uh, that leverages the Internet 2 connections that are already connecting those universities but allows them to um, use their internal computing capacity better uh, and also to more effectively share files, uh, things like medical imaging and other uh, big data applications across university campuses. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. Um, and I don't want to leave you out. What, what, there's a lot of medical... Um, facilities and teaching um, uh, facilities in Cambridge and the surrounding mm -hmm. area, what do you think will be the impact of broadband on those facilities there? No, thank, thank you so much for, for you know, letting me field that question. Um, I think there's going to be a huge impact uh, when we think about you know, workforce development, you know, all of the types of jobs that are needed to run hospitals, primary care centers, so on and so forth. Um, you need broadband to, you know, get trained and be, you know, ready to hit the ground running uh, when you start those jobs. Um, one thing that, you know, I'd love to hear what the uh, other guests on the show uh, know about this, but, you know, when a person goes to the doctor for an appointment, you know, you're asked a lot of basic questions. Um, wouldn't it be interesting if uh, healthcare systems started to see that they also have a stake in broadband adoption? Um, everything is becoming digitized. Uh, seems like a, a worthwhile question for them to ask would be, do you have broadband in your home? Um, mm -hmm. Can we help you get broadband in your home? Uh, there are probably some interesting um, questions to ask about what impact this could have on cost savings, um, how this could be potentially beneficial to the patient um, healthcare system relationship. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of uh, uncharted territory when it comes to broadband and healthcare um, that'll be very exciting to explore in the years to come. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, in, uh, in, in uh, Mark's case, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, rural has challenges uh, for uh, emergency medical services and general just recovery services. Um, do the same issues uh, impact a place like Cambridge or Boston, you know, the big metropolitan areas, or do they have a different set of whole, you know, emergency issues they have to work through relative to broadband? Well, you know, I'm not an expert on, you know, the how the, the specific, you know, like the emergency networks work, um, you know, mm -hmm. for communications, but I do know that we have a, a couple big healthcare systems in the Boston area. There's a, a big system called, you know, Partners. Um, Tufts Medical Center is another big system with a lot of clinics. Um, Beth Israel has a whole, like a, a big hospital and a bunch of satellite clinics all over, you know, Boston as well as the surrounding towns. Um, you know, when we're talking about transitioning over to electronic medical records, um, a patient can exist in more than one system. Um, all of these systems, of course, uh, you know, are run on broadband. You know, hospitals can't get by a day without broadband at this point in time. Um, but what does that mean if you're a patient um, who doesn't have broadband in the home or who, you know, maybe is only using a mobile device 
but in order to manage uh, your appointment schedule, um, you know, check up on the labs you just had, maybe do some research um, to get ready for your appointments. Um, what does that mean? So I, I think that there's a big play to be made potentially by, you know, the healthcare industry in Boston on, um, you know, helping patients have a better relationship with them basically by, um, you know, making broadband adoption a priority. Mm-hmm. Now, Anne brings up a question uh, that, um, you know, Mark might have an answer to, which is, um can you envision a bringing a, together of all of the uh, doctors and uh, medical facilities in the various um, outlying areas of your four counties into one centralized network to improve overall the uh, ability to, to provide service? Because I, I, I um, what was it, Danville, Virginia, uh, did a similar thing where they uh, tied all of their clinics and the hospital and their actual doctor individual practices to all together. I mean, they they are there was you know there issues of security and all that type of stuff. But I mean, there's a general place where um, all of those um, uh, people could um, exchange information and help you know, provide a collectively a better um, service for the area. Do you think that could play in in uh, in, in, in uh, Minnesota? Boy, wouldn't that be wonderful. Um, <laughs> we might be a little unique up here because we have the mail system, which is uh, which is the the big boy in the room, and we have. Um, uh, healthcare systems around the Twin Cities. We're only an hour south west of the Twin Cities, and we have some regional healthcare providers. And I'm not an expert on this, but it seems to me that they're more, in more of a competitive mode right now than they are a collaborative mode. Uh, but I think that the presence of a network that allows them to uh, deliver these services and uh, realize these efficiencies. Well, here's here's one that's healthcare related, but it's on a different angle. Uh, our state USDA director is very interested in using our network to deliver mental health services out mm-hmm. in the rural areas. They cannot afford to send a doctor, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist out to a remote farm in Sibley County but if there's a fiber connection there and they can have a high-definition video link, they can see their eyes dilate, they can see their jaws clench in response to session questions, and they can hold a mental health session via this gigabit-enabled network. So mm-hmm. I think that the technology is going to maybe enable that sharing and that collaboration, but I, I think it's going to take a while to materialize. Okay. You know, and that's why I put... Um you know the the description of um, broadband assisted healthcare as a sleeper app. You know, not yeah. that it's like we're we've got a couple of things that have to come into place: the, the rules, you know, how reimbursements happen, and so forth. Right. But it seems like this is like you know we've only tapped in maybe five percent of the potential. 
and that you know even though we right now we talk about economic development all the time when we talk about broadband i would imagine that over time healthcare and broadband assisted healthcare will actually become as great or maybe even bet more so as you know two years or three years roll along does anyone I think you're right Greg I think you're right Mm -hmm. Aaron what's what's your take say that say the last part again well it's that we're, we're we really haven't tapped into the full potential of broadband assisted healthcare delivery and that when we get several things out of the way, such as um, rules and federal requirements and HIPAA and all those other kinds of things, once we get those hurdles uh, overcome, then broad, uh, broadband and, and healthcare will be equal or more so important than economic development as a you know a result of broadband. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, certainly certainly there's a lot uh, that can be done to realize the potential of these broadband networks to improve healthcare. Um, you know, how you compartmentalize uh, economic development versus healthcare education, I think is is tempting a lot, and it's easy to do because you have audiences that sort of have each of those things as their specialty. But you know, those are pretty tightly related issues too. Um, you know, when you start to look at uh, you know, economic outcomes in neighborhoods, for example, you see, uh, you know, health issues being a major part in that. So you can you can frame healthcare as an economic development issue. Uh, and in fact, Mayor Holland here, with his Healthy Campus Initiative in Kansas City, Kansas, is has has really pushed um, sort of as part of his innovation strategy, or or maybe alongside the the tech strategy, if you like, uh, this this Healthy Campus um, initiative. Now. I think the point you're making is uh, there are still a lot of hurdles to how you realize that. I mean, part of the part of the hurdle is just that broadband isn't as widespread still as we'd like to see it. So you may have, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand homes in Kansas City and in Chattanooga, and you get 25,000 homes in Minnesota, and you get 100,000 here and there, uh, but uh, that creates that creates a great environment for experimentation and to start building, but it doesn't create the critical mass that you need to get the regulatory environment changed. And so, you know, we're, we're working on that too, but it is a slow process. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it, you, you can't look at it either as all those regulations are bad. I mean, there's a reason that we have HIPAA. There's a reason that we have a lot of these other things that are in place. And so you see, you know, I think a lot of times in emerging tech industries, you see this with Uber and Airbnb, and people say, well, we want to be disruptive. We want to throw out the regulations. Uh, that's that's not necessarily the right <laughs> the right way to approach it either. So that's sort of the 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 line that we're walking, the um, the, the challenge, and, and what we need to balance. But um, certainly, we've got a long way to go in in figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Anne, in in your part of the world, there are it seems like a bazillion um, colleges in, mm-hmm. in Boston and, and Massachusetts. I wonder how do you think the um the impact on how doctors and nurses and medical professionals are trained will you know will 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 the technology in some way 
enable a different way, uh, maybe a more effective way or a way to open up, you know, better opportunities in the in the training or education system, you know, do you see that happening? Will we will we start doing, I don't know, using videos to like change how you know how many uh, senior doctors are matched with internists or what what have you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, as Mark was um, talking about some of the challenges related to terrain and distance that, um, you know, communities in rural Minnesota faced, I was thinking about, and I, I believe, you know, this is, you know, communities, you know, in the country have probably tried this before, um, but what role could broadband play in just like, you know, the day-to-day -day maintenance of chronic health conditions? And then, you know, to get to your question, uh, Craig, um, I think it, it's very clear that, you know, the training of healthcare um, professionals would need to be tinkered with. Um, right now it's, you know, I'm, I am not myself a healthcare professional, uh, but it's a very, you know, face-to-face, human-interaction-driven profession. Um, you know, with the right speed uh, and, and equipment, you can have, you know, something that feels very face-to-face. -face. But what is, what do you need to change about the training so that, um the technology doesn't, you know, get in the way of, you know, the relationship that you need to have. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I do think it will, I do think that advances in broadband will ne necessitate that, um, you know, nurses, doctors, et cetera, be trained differently. Um, I don't know specifically what that will look like. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's not clear um, just because, um, this stuff is still new, and you know mm -hmm. it's not everywhere. Or at least the, you know, the gigabit or the high-speed version is not everywhere. And so it's kind of may, maybe uh, I think it was uh, Aaron that made the mark, you know, that that if you don't get more people or other cities involved, you know, you don't gonna you're not going to be able to really stretch out the possibilities, you know, that you really could get. Mm -hmm. Because you're have a, you just have a small universe of people talking to each other. It's going to be a mm -hmm. certain amount of um, increase of the uh, the community networks that will then start to lead, lead to a critical mass and get more people coming up with new ideas and approaches to um, you know how do you get a doctor be a doctor, you know, and, and mm -hmm. how to mm -hmm. make them more, um, you know, t digital savvy and so forth. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's actually extrapolate this a little bit. Let's talk about education in general, particularly as it pertains to colleges. And I sense, because of some of the articles that I've read, that there is a certain amount of dissatisfaction that the the college experience is expensive um it is not necessarily convenient um and there are people who um were kids when you know the the iPhone was you know starting to roll out you know how those people learn is very different than 
how people in their 30s and their 50s learned, right? So there's a whole different the youth out there. How does the uh, education, the college education system, adapt broadband to somehow change how people learn and how much people pay for the, the learning? We'll, we'll start with, uh, with Mark on this one. Well, that's another good question. Our footprint does not have a college in it, uh, uh, mm-hmm. but we have a community college nearby. I, I, I think, I think it's through a sharing mode uh, out here between high schools. We uh, have a hard time finding teachers sometimes, and we're going to share resources across different educational districts. I, I, I think the the same thing can play out at the, at the university level. But as far as Students interacting and 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 getting online degrees uh, versus the old way. Um, I think that's going to accelerate. I I think that you're going to see more and more of it. Um, these gigabit networks, these fiber networks, are going to play an important role in that. Um, I'd be interested to hear what Ann and Aaron have to say. I know they they are actually in a real hotbed of of educational opportunities. Aaron, There's a pun for you. There's a pun. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the, um, the one of the one of the things to kind of be careful about, or maybe a challenge of having the broadband conversation, is to sort of approach you know all these big problems from the perspective of how is broadband going to fix this? Because you know it, it's not. Right? I mean, broadband is not going to be what fixes higher ed and what fixes the system of higher ed. Now, is it going to change the way that people learn? Absolutely. Um, and and is the system broken? Uh, I think in a lot of ways it is. It 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 costs a lot of money, and you know it's not always clear where that money's going. And uh, you know you've got the whole student debt crisis uh, or situation. But like you, you look at all those things. I mean, that's a big systematic issue. That has uh, you know a regulatory aspect, a political aspect. It's got you know conversations about what people think they're doing when they go to college. It's got uh, you know workforce development uh, aspects to it, and sort of what we're training people to do. You know, there's, there's like there's a huge uh, swath of stuff that is you know <laughs> how do you fix higher ed? Um, now broadband is a you know as, as we talk about a lot is a tool that's going to affect everything that we do. It's going to affect those jobs that people get when they uh, graduate from college. It's going to affect the delivery mechanisms by which people can actually teach. It affects the accessibility of information and knowledge and the way that people are able to access uh, you know, information that they, may, that they may want to learn. It affects what their jobs are going to be and how they, uh, you know, what they even have access to as careers afterwards. So, like, I mean, these are, are two enormous issues that, that run in parallel to each other. And I think, you know, the reason I say you've got to be a little bit careful is because people, I think, come in, especially when they're trying to figure out, you know, oh, should we invest in broadband? Do we, you know, do we invest in this network as a community? And they kind of want this, um, well, we, we have this problem with our university, and if we put in this network, it's going to solve it, and then we're going to be able to see what these results are, and we're going to be able to track it, and we're going to be able to say, well, see, we fixed that, and it was worth the investment. And and a lot of this stuff is is really complex, so it's hard to do that. So that's the the, the cautionary piece. Um, 
I, I do think that, you know, there are a couple things uh, that broadband does um, and, and that I kind of mentioned that litany, but, but one is just access and exposure to not just information, but to, you know, ways of learning information and ways of absorbing information and ways of working. So, um, you know, not just the idea of watching, you know, videos of instructors who are really good, but you can see them online now. You know, you can take Harvard CS50 course, for example, um, or, you know, all the, the uh, what, what is it, XEDU, um, edX, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. You know, all these people that are putting their courses online. So you can do that. Uh, you can have MOOCs. You know, people like to talk about these massive uh, online open courses. And then you see sort of the flip side of how effective are these things and do you really get the engagement. And so these are all like the kind of things that we're that we're muddling through. But we know that there is something different that is, that is happening in terms of the accessibility of information. The other thing, uh, aside from just having access to a lot more content, is the immersive ability of of the next generation web um, and this idea uh, of of presence and how you can really create the experience of being there and that's sort of um, the the next the next frontier in some ways I really don't think we're there yet I mean mm-hmm. even if you look at like video conference uh, technology it's still not great uh, in terms of how it sort of seamlessly interacts with our everyday lives. Um, you know, you see things like the the Oculus Rift and the Google Cardboard and these emerging virtual reality uh, things that are becoming more immersive. But, um, you know, what that means for a higher ed setting when you can really be immersed in another location, that's really an interesting idea. Um, and there's an enormous amount of potential. But... I don't know that that's going to necessarily be the the one thing that upends the current model. Okay. Um and what's what's your take on you know how we can uh, hope or expect that these um colleges will start to you know find the next generation apps or the next you the next generation usage of mm-hmm. the network um to 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 facilitate education um yeah so what what's coming to mind right now is uh some very eloquent words by MIT's current president uh Raphael Rice and um you know in some pieces that have been published online and in speeches he's given he articulates this uh fantastic vision of a future that is very Still, a campus-based uh, college experience complemented by open online courses that connect students to other people all over the world. Um, you know whether that would bring down the cost of higher education. I I don't know. Uh, I think you know the, the jury is certainly still out on that. Um, whether that could replace you know like a brilliant professor. You know brilliant classmates who you develop um, close and long-lasting relationships with, I don't know. Um, but I do, I do think there's, there's still something very special about like the, an undergraduate campus-based education. Um, for many people, um, college is the first time um, where they you know, meet new friends and classmates who are very different from themselves. And um, 
it would be, I'm excited to see how MOOCs could uh, complement that uh, in, a, in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, I'd like to uh, shift this discussion a little, little bit, um, though it does play in some of the issues about um, uh, youth and, and, and how broadband is impacting them. Um, Anne's a city planner, and, and we, her and I had this conversation yesterday where we talked about the, uh, the planning and how the planning needs to be more, um, I don't know, uh, different in some way so that we are taking advantage of the technology, you know, through better planning. And uh, I want to talk about, and we'll start with with Anne, but um, when you get past students, right, because they understand a lot about this technology and broadband and so forth, when you're talking about <clears throat> getting uh, older people to use uh, medical apps on the web or you have seniors using uh, the network to, you know, communicate with relatives, uh, there's a there's a uh, I would say gap in the digital literacy as you go up the line in terms of the the ages of folks. You know what does well first how do we or should we figure out ways to address digital literacy as a way to make sure that we get the best results from our broadband networks. Yeah, I mean, so I think there are some, you know, fantastic examples of how that's being done in cities across the country. So um, here in the Boston metro area, Tech Goes Home is doing incredible work. And as we heard from Mayor Burke, uh, Tech Goes Home also functions in Chattanooga. Uh, Mm -hmm. Erin can speak more to this, but I understand there are also some very strong initiatives related to digital literacy in Kansas City, um, cities are increasingly uh, integrating digital inclusion into their overall broadband visions. So, you know, Chattanooga is clearly doing that. It was exciting to hear um, Mayor Burke speak about, you know, the vision of having uh, n- not having digitally digital gated communities. You know, getting rid of that. Um, City of Portland, Oregon is doing incredible work. City of Chicago comes to mind. Um, City of Cambridge is uh, in the very beginning stages of figuring out what it looks like to have world-class broadband infrastructure um, while also having world-class digital equity. Uh, So I I think that we're going to see some major plays, I think, in the next couple of years, um, building off of the very visionary work of places like Chattanooga, Portland, Chicago, Boston, Kansas City. Let's not forget Kansas City. How could we forget Kansas City? And, and, How could we do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aaron appreciates that, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, there, there is, there's a lot going on. And I think it's, it's kind of cool because, I mean, e- equity isn't, again, isn't, isn't a new problem. Um, and a lot of the issues, a lot of the neighborhoods and the places that we, you know, are working on digital divide problems have lots of other problems that we're working on as well. Uh, but it gives you a new platform to start to address those and a new toolkit in some cases. Um, so, so that's really cool. Uh, we have um, 
you know, we've got an organization here uh, called Connecting for Good uh, that has been doing work on, you know, the hardware, the software, uh, the network access side, as well as the training. Uh, we have a digital inclusion fund uh, that uh, was funded by um, Google Fiber and local businesses and philanthropies for uh, to over a million dollars uh, to fund really specific kind of hands-on concrete programs that are, you know, doing the work of helping to educate people. Uh, we have uh, a couple digital inclusion fellows um, that uh, are working with uh, two organizations here, Full Employment Council, which works on workforce issues, and Literacy KC, which started in uh, traditional adult literacy but has moved into digital literacy. And we've really um, been wrapping all these efforts uh, together to some extent in uh, the Kansas City Coalition for Digital Inclusion. Uh, and we just actually um, sort of ratified our founding principles last week. Um, and so we'll be rolling more information about this uh, in the coming weeks. And, uh, you know, it's it's we found so much that's going on in the community uh, around this issue over the past two or three years. I mean, it's really become sort of lightning rod. Uh, and, and frankly, it's hard to keep track of. Uh, and so having... Uh, a coalition of actors who are, you know, becoming more engaged in this issue that, you know, you're not always going to agree on everything. I mean, some people, you know, care about fiber. Some people just care about having Internet access. Some people, you know, think about wireline. Some people think about wireless. Some people, you know, might say, eh, you know what, if we don't want or if there are, you know, older people that really don't want it in their house, we don't care about that. That's fine. Uh, so, you know, you've got to kind of figure out where your where your common ground is. But I think mean, everybody understands that, uh you know, people are going to need to get online to get their Social Security. People need to get online to do homework. You need to get online to access your grades. You need to get online to apply for jobs. Um, and and all of these things, your education, your health care, your, your, your money, uh, those are the things that you need to have a, you know, a fully formed and healthy and happy life. And so mm -hmm. as you need to to use digital tools to accomplish that, we need to make sure that those are uh, available and accessible and people don't get don't get cut off from that. Um, so it's, it's an exciting time to be able to work on that. Mm -hmm. Mark, what's your take? Uh, how are you guys planning to um, uh, deal with the adoption issue, the digital um, inclusion, the, the uh, digital, digital literacy? Do you have a plan in place? specifically for that? Will you deal with that later? Uh, what do you think? Well, we um, don't have the partners that they have in KC. We, we wish we had the Kauffman Foundation. We wish we had MIT and wish we had Google Fiber to help us out. But we have the Blandon Foundation here in Minnesota, and they have done some yeoman's work throughout the state, and they have provided us with a grant to address the digital inclusion and digital adoption issues in our area. Now, there's only 20,000 people in our 600 or 700 square mile footprint, so it's a different play than it is in Cambridge and Kansas City. And we have an organization in Minnesota called PCs for People, and they are going to provide us, our RS Fiber Cooperative, um, a project through a, a, a Blandon grant, 50 refurbished computers that we're going to give away to folks and give them access and give them educational opportunities to learn how to to use those computers. So 
We're a little bit at the front of the curve on this because our network is just under construction now. It's been under construction for about two months. The first phase will take um, another uh, 22 months to complete, and the second phase will uh, take another three years beyond that. So we will adopt it. We, we will address it. We hope our partners step up, and we think there's some local folks who see this as an issue, too. We're going to learn from Kansas City. We're going to learn from Cambridge. We're going to learn from what the folks that really have done great work in this area do and uh, copy it. We're going to, we're going to plagiarize, Aaron. I'm sorry. We're going to plagiarize. <laughs> no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, we're going to take it and run <laughs> with it. We want to see happen. There you go. That's actually one of those things that's very beneficial about community broadband and getting uh, local governments and public utilities and so forth is that there isn't the the type of competitiveness that you have in the corporate sector, and so people are much more willing to share. So you know, t take that and run with that. That's definitely. Um, I would like to know, you know, we'll start with, uh, let's see, we'll start with Anne, uh, with Anne this time. You know, what are some of the digital literacy challenges in the um, urban area that may not be the case in rural areas? Because I would not want to think that we'd want to try to use the same thinking to sort of, you know, of addressing both of those. Mm, yes, so... Um, at least in the, in the case of Cambridge, um, something like 17% of households uh, have not adopted broadband in the home or are mobile-only Internet users, so rely on smartphones to get on the Internet. Um, you know, back-of-the-envelope uh, calculation is that means about 7,600 households um, or about, you know, 1,500 and change individuals if we figure, you know, two people per household. Um, you know, national research says that um, reasons people do not adopt broadband in the home, despite the fact that it is available, um, you know, or affordability, relevancy, and digital literacy, um, we're very excited to learn from other cities like Chattanooga, Kansas City, um, about how they have tackled these issues. Um, it's it's very exciting to see ways that plans really uh, institutions that are already working with, you know, youth and adults who may not have the resources to adopt broadband in the home. You know, they're already mm -hmm. working with them on, you know, education and workforce-related initiatives. Um, they'll get more bang for their buck. Um, if these families have broadband in the home. Um, it's not fair to the families and the students to put forth so much work um, to only not reach not reach their fullest potential because uh, they cannot afford broadband. Hmm. Okay. Now, flipping on the other side, then to the rural side, um, Mark, what do you see as the challenges that you guys have that maybe the urban um, networks don't have as far as adoption and literacy? Um, for us, it's it's more of an issue of uh, school districts that are starting to work together in other areas and, 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 and always haven't worked together, but now they're starting to, so it's, it's it, 
we have a number in the rural areas. We have a number of lines drawn around districts. Uh, churches had their own um, areas. Schools have their own areas. Uh, co-ops have their own areas. Cities have their own areas, and, and, and they all overlap, and they all don't make sense. So there's no one common area, and we're trying to break down those lines. But also, for us, identifying people who are in need uh, can be an issue. Uh, it's, it's a little more sensitive out here sometimes than it is in a larger city, I think. I don't know that. Um, and for us out here around technology issues, it's, it's, a, it's a newer problem for us. We don't don't believe we've ever had an initiative that's going to give away 40 computers to people who need them and then teach them how to do that. So for us, it's it's learning from Kansas City and Cambridge and Chattanooga and, and, and finding ways to get that done. So it's a learning curve for us out here where we are. I'm sure there are other rural areas that have addressed the issue very well. Um, but we have competing silos out here. That's one of the things that, that drags us down in the rural area is, you know, we have um, long-standing competition between towns and school districts and, and uh, counties, and, and so we, we have to break down those barriers before we can break down the digital literacy barrier. And we're, and we're working on it. Gotcha. Well, and also, gotcha. you know, one thing that is a really stark difference between urban and rural environments is that the infrastructure is not there a lot of times in rural environments. And so, I mean, Mark's <laughs> lucky uh, among among rural communities in that they're actually starting to put down conduit and putting fiber in the ground. Right. Uh, but a lot of rural communities are stuck with satellite or, you know, a, a crummy DSL. Um, and even though, you know, I mean, for us, in Kansas City and a lot of urban communities, you're talking about how do you get gigabit speeds that are cheap. But, you know, when we have AT&T and Time Warner and Comcast and Consolidated, uh, Link City, you know, we've got seven or eight providers throughout the metro that cover everyone. And if anyone wants, you know, I mean, 10 or 15 megs of service for, uh, you know, under 30 or 40 bucks a month, they can get it. And that's not, you know, that's not nothing, and and for some households that's still a big barrier. But mm-hmm. you know, at least it's there. Rural communities right. sometimes they don't even have access to those kind of speeds, and they can't can't get more than five megs. Mm-hmm. And and Aaron, that's a great answer. And, and one of the things we're looking forward to is is when this network is built, this intranet of sorts that it that it will be will be independent of the internet. It will be our own local area network with mm-hmm. a minimum of 100 meg symmetrical between everyone so we can utilize it and leverage it in ways that if you're in an urban area with eight providers, you really can't do. We'll have one single network that actually touches everyone. So mm-hmm. that's a great answer. Hmm. I'm going to do a little bit different chain here. Um, there's a there's a um, uh, an audience member <clears throat> who's been listening to this show, and uh, he's involved with uh, trying to get technology out um, to Africa. And obviously, you know, we're talking about broadband here in the U.S. But I thought it might be interesting to see if I can get this connection to work. Um, if uh, what his 
his take on a couple things, and maybe there'll be an interesting exchange here. So hold on, let me see if the connection will work. It's a VoIP connection. Hello, is there someone here? Hey guys, uh, I hope that it's coming through okay. It, it might not be. Nope, you're good. I, at least I can hear everybody. I'm not sure if it will have everybody else, but I think we're okay. Who are good you? Great. Great. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at trying to bring long-range links into nations like Uganda and um, also South Africa, various nations. Uh, but I'm mainly mainly on the research side at the moment because. Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that the, the culture of Internet in places like the United States, you know, you guys are branching off existing broadband networks. Uh, but until recently, uh, Kampala didn't even have its own fiber ring. Um, you know, it's just just getting there. And then Google's doing a lot of work to try and get the fiber optic network into Kampala. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to build long range links where, uh, we can use uh, unlicensed frequencies like Wi-Fi equipment because it's very low cost to try and even just bring like a, a 100 meg line, if possible, or even just a 50 meg line into a community. And, and that could be a community of up to 2,000 different households. Um, but, but, you know, for somebody that's never had Internet access before, it's a, it's a great benefit. The, the challenge that I'm seeing is in the, um, the actual uh, sort of what you might call logistical ability because the, the, the equipment can be purchased, but the upkeep of that equipment um, and the maintenance of the network uh, and also skilled people, having skilled people trained up correctly to be able to manage those networks, that's where I think the bottleneck uh, is coming in, in communities not being able to manage their own networks uh, and, and companies sort of like not taking notice of the little guy, uh, the small users. The cell phone companies are making the most money in Africa. Hmm. One of the things um, to, to make this beneficial, um, it would be interesting, you know, each of you, meaning uh, Anne and Mark and Aaron, is to maybe take a minute and a half or so to say, what would you do if the biggest problem, um, if you're trying to work with a group that has not had technology before, and now we're going to say, here, we're going to give you an internet connection and some sort of hardware and some software. I mean, just blue sky. We understand that you know none of you guys are experts on international issues per se related to broadband, but I just want to know what your just top of the main thought is. Now we'll start with... Follow the prime oh, directive, Mr. Settles. You say <laughs> Sorry, Mark, um you know, because I don't think you're ne- you're not necessarily as as the same the same as a third world country, but you still have a lot of people who are gonna be introducing technology right. Yeah, and, and you know, this was actually a this is a lesson that we learned from our project. You know, we had to bring te- bring together uh, ten city councils and 17 township boards in one meeting and over a period of a year and a half to chart a course forward that put their taxes at risk. And in conservative rural Minnesota, that's not an easy thing to do. But what worked for us, and I'll put a plug in here, the fiber to the home council 
has a fiber primer, what brought what the broadband can do for your community, and it's a primer on fiber optics, fiber technology, economic development, healthcare, education, all of those things, and it's very good. It's easily understandable. We mailed in two separate mailings over two years 14,000 of those primers to everybody in the footprint, and I'm convinced that it made the difference because when people understood the opportunity, when we got to the leaders and they understood the opportunity, then they got it. Then they said, oh, well, absolutely we have to do this. I mean, the opportunity is there for us. No one else is going to do it for us. So that would be my my take on that question. Okay. Aaron, what do you think? So what comes to mind immediately um, is the question of to what extent do you think you can leverage the mission and the resources of universities in the nations uh, that you are working in. Um, you know, this comes to mind because they have a mission to educate. Um, you know, critical to education is people having the ability to connect to information. Uh, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think that um, there definitely is that interest. Um, but uh, but the general uh, the general focus that I've been seeing from a lot of co companies corporations uh, as a researcher is that um, you know their main focus is the bottom line, whereas you know even in organizations they 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 bring resources into their university, but uh, a lot of countries don't think outside of the box. Like if you look at South Korea, um, they really looked forward and because of the geographical nature of their um, people living in very close proximity to each other, uh, they really did have the opportunity to build a decent fiber network, um, which is unparalleled in the world. But, um, you know, trying to get people to think, okay, if we bring Wi-Fi into 2,000 households as a test, then no one will have to commute necessarily perhaps one or two days a week, they would go into the university for group discussions. But none of those young people or young adults that were doing the university training courses would have to commute. Um, you know, the real benefit costs are not taken into account. So the challenge is to actually get that, mind, that mindset to change. Um, you know, I also am working with satellites to try to bring uh, communications via satellite to people but but the mindset is such that the investment capital, getting that release of investment capital is just incredibly difficult. It's almost like you have to prove it yourself from some external funding source to be able to, you know, get the benefit. And even then, then when we're talking education, it's a five to 10 year process because uh, for people to qualify and to show the increase in qualifications due to that particular uh, method, it, it's just a long sell. So I think mm -hmm. in the commercialized aspect of it where the... Um, the numbers on paperwork alongside the educational benefit is needed. The, uh, the numbers on, on, on paper for investment is probably still the primary method um, by which to go. Uh, but it's more of also a humanitarian mission because uh, the kind of revenues that you'd get in Africa are much less than you get in, uh, first world, uh, in most first world countries. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, Aaron. What do you? What's your take on the on the question and how we might help our friend here? Well, I think w one thing is uh, to really start. I mean, kind of echo, I guess, what Ann Ann said uh, to some degree, right? Start with what the needs of the community are. So, 
you know, if you're thinking about bringing a broadband solution, if that connects to a problem that people are facing and you're framing it not just as a sort of standalone, you know, investment, but as a way to solve something that people are looking to solve, that's, um, uh, I, I think, one one approach. I think, I don't know for sure how this fits in, but I know in, like, the Wi-Fi or mobile uh, domain, you know, they talk a lot about uh, leapfrogging technologies. Um, and so when, you know, I'm talking about this specifically in regard to Africa and, uh, you know, jumping over, like, 3G networks to LTE, um I don't know what the implication of that is for for broadband. I don't I don't know that there's a way around fiber. Although you know I know people are trying the balloons and are experimenting with satellites and and all these different things. Um, but I think that's a, you know uh, an interesting framework for thinking about the developing world. But that's uh, that's a little bit out of my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. I would say because um, we're going to pretty much have, have to wrap it up. But I think that um, there are things that we can learn, as you know, we as Americans can understand, can learn by other countries, both their challenges and their successes. You know, and I think that there are things of you know how they are coping with their challenges in Africa versus how they're. Uh, presenting or or uh, taking advantage of their opportunities in, say, Korea, you know, we can learn from both of those. And I think that it's a mistake to only have the discussion about, you know, all of our challenges as we view them here in the U.S. We need to get an outside view because I think there's a lot that we can learn. And I think conversely... You know, someone like our. our uh, by the way, what is this gentleman? What's your name again? I didn't really cut that. Sorry, my name is Andrew. Andrew. So you know, yes. Andrew can also learn a lot from us as we make mistakes and we have successes and so forth. But I'm really pushing, you know, this idea that you know everything isn't just a a, a, a silo or a box. You know, whether you're talking about at the county level or if we're talking about, you know, the country level, that there are ways to find out how we can overcome certain things and how we can take the full advantage of what broadband has to offer. And it's going to take a certain amount of willingness to get out there and exchange ideas with other uh, with other cities, states, and, uh, and and countries, and I think I really belong. I believe in that the, that that uh, principle. So um, we're gonna we're gonna pretty much wrap this up. I want to thank um, Mark and Ann and Aaron uh, and Andrew for coming in at the last minute and putting in some uh, you know different perspective on some things. Uh, you know, thank you for your time because, you know, this is my uh, beginning of my fourth year doing this show and the participation and the support of people like you folks, both my audience and my guests, has made all the difference in the world in terms of making this show be a success. And I appreciate all of this and I hate, appreciate all of you 
and uh, hope that we can continue to 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 grow our respective initiatives in broadband and in the end you know we have a better place because of that so you know thank you very much um craig before we get off the air um could i um say one more quick thing okay but you got two minutes well two minutes um I, you mentioned the, like the importance of you know cross context learning and city city learning, and um, I want to give a big shout out to um, Deb Sosha and Next Century Cities for the role that they're playing in celebrating the type of you know visionary work that folks you know like the mayor of Chattanooga are doing, um, you know really you know making it possible for more and more mayors and elected officials to put themselves out there and um, take bold moves on broadband and digital equity. So. Um, Big thanks to uh, Next Century Cities for for that leadership. I can second that for sure. <laughs> well, this has been uh, a great time. Again, thank you for your participation and your ideas and, and your experiences. I, am, I have no doubt that I will be talking to each of you um, at some, uh, some time. Uh, you know, I've got this book coming out in, uh, in, in another week or so. Um, on broadband strategy. It's called Building the Gigabit City. Uh, I expect to have more uh, and more diverse shows in the future coming into Gigabit uh, Nation. And obviously, I'll always be doing um, stand-up. No, I'm kidding. I will be doing uh, opportunities to, you know, to educate people and to be educated. So, um, there's a lot coming. There's a lot coming on. So, let's move forward and and make broadband like a reality everywhere. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Craig. Thank you so much, Craig. All righty.